All right, here we are again, another episode of uh, Combustible Podcast. I'm uh, joined by uh, Pabell, Bill, and Shane. And uh, on the telephone, we have uh, retired Captain Todd Edwards. And uh, we're going to just uh, cover some stuff. He's got a pretty uh, dynamic career in training and things like that. And uh, we're going to kind of delve into some of that and, and find out uh, what he's doing now and uh, how, how he's enjoying retirement and you know, find out more about his uh, career in uh, I how many years did you actually serve for, Todd? I did. Uh, I did the full thirty. Uh, you know, between field ops and uh, a few other short time positions, and uh, then left. And now I work back for the department in the training division. Okay. And how long have you been doing that? I've uh, been a year already. So I guess uh, total service to the to the department itself is uh, uh, thirty one now. 31 okay. years that's a good long time yeah yeah it doesn't seem that long it really does not seem uh that long i was uh recently speaking to some guys and you uh when you're immersed in it you don't realize it and then you wake up one morning and 31 years gone by so for the listeners that don't know you uh, obviously me and you're pretty tight we've known each other a good long time uh kind of walk them through how you got into the fire service so uh i guess the, my main reason for getting in the fire service is I grew up in, in the American fire service. My uh, father was, uh, when he retired eventually from his full-time department, he worked for a public safety department. And they would do X amount of hours in a cruiser, carrying their turnout gear in the cruiser, and would just respond directly to fires. And then they'd spend you know, a certain amount of time in the firehouse as well. So he retired from the city of Oakwood, which is in Ohio, after uh, almost 30 years there, or 20 years there, and then he also was working full-time as my, he was actually my very first fire chief. So my entire um, life, as a, even as a, you know, seven-year-old, we'd go, we'd be at the firehouse, you know, at the volunteer hall, and that's, you know, every Christmas, Santa arriving on the fire truck, and every Easter, and everything involved around the, you know, the fire department. And So you're a lifer. Yeah, yeah, I'd say life, life is a good way to put it. So at 16, I was able to join uh, the department, and uh, one of the departments he was fire chief over. And it was a combination department, three stations, full-time during the day, and then volunteer at night, weekends and holidays, all volunteer members. So that's just really, you know, that's all I've ever done. It's all I've ever known is being around firefighters and, and uh you know, this uh, what I kind of describe as a lifestyle. It's not not a job. It's actually a lifestyle you get involved in with uh, with the fire service. Right. And then you uh, changed departments as well, correct? You didn't stay with that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, and, uh, when I was coming into into where I wanted to go, someplace um, I wanted to always work for a big city. And at at that time in 1987, I, I started to supply it everywhere, all over the country. I, did, I didn't really have a preference. It wasn't like I had to live in Atlanta or I had to live in, you know, Boston or Chicago, but I applied everywhere. And I stayed local as well. But at that time, it was just a uh, very unique time in the country as well. And nobody would hire. They were all being, I don't want to say forced, but there was a lack of diversity throughout the American Fire Service at that time. So Atlanta was exactly opposite. They were looking for firefighters. I had a friend on uh, Atlanta Police Department. He said Atlanta was desperate and was hiring everybody they could hire at that moment. And 
end up coming down here and uh, it was, you know it turned out to be the best decision of my life to join the join that organization and uh, raised my kids in this organization in a lot of ways got married while I've been on the job I mean there was nothing that uh, Atlanta Fire and, and my years there haven't been involved as part of my daily life awesome but yeah worked out great really worked out great uh, so in the department, the full-time department you worked for, what uh, kind of ranks did you go through or what was your career path? <laughs> I, started, I started as a firefighter, a uh, very busy house when I came out of school. Um, never made rank a driver, uh, not the greatest driver in the world. And uh, so I moved up every, I just, all my, all my career path timed out perfect. So right five-year mark, I made lieutenant. Two years later, Made captain, went back to lieutenant for a little bit, um, just because of the way things panned out. And uh, then captain made uh, was served as battalion chief for close to six years, and um, uh, moved up one more time after that, and ended up retiring uh, after you know some things. <laughs> back as a captain, I started left, left my job as a captain, and. Uh, <laughs> Actually, again, uh, you know, I, I tell guys everything in, in your career in, in the fire service, there's a purpose and a reason for all those things. So everything worked out great. I, I, you know, I have no uh, uh, no ill will about, you know, everything and truly enjoyed my uh, last almost three and a half years as a captain uh, working on a busy engine company and wouldn't trade it for anything for any of my entire career path. I wouldn't change so what would you attribute that positive outlook in as far as not having any ill will? A lot of people would be very disgruntled that yeah. they had gone up to the assistant chief yeah. level and then moved back down to captain, but you're saying you've left and no, no, you know, no harm, no foul. Yeah. And I, I'm not, you know, it'd be, I'd be telling, I'd be lying if I didn't say when, when I was initially, uh, uh, demoted back to captain rank, I, that wasn't, that wasn't a little disgruntled, wasn't a little mad. Um, Took me a little bit to get engaged, kind of re-engaged, but at the end of the day, it's not from a leadership standpoint. Again, I'm just throwing my this, this is my opinion. If if you're thinking about yourself, then you shouldn't be a leader in any way, shape, form, or manner because that's not what you're being a boss about or being a leader about. And at the end of the day, I had too much. Uh, I, I love the job too much. I love I love going to the fire. I love the fire service. And I love the guys and wanted to always work for them. And I never considered it any other way. You know, for, you know what we do is, is a lot more important than uh, a few uh, crossover bugles on your collar. And that should never define you. If, they, if that is what's defined you, then um, you should take a step back and look in the mirror and really determine if you should be in charge of other people's lives. If that's what your only focus is, is on how many bugles you can have on your collar. So that's why I went back. And again, you know, that's why I'm still engaged with the fire service today, you know, because of those reasons. It's not about us. It's about, you know, that 21 year old kid sitting in the firehouse right now that's going to be somebody else's boss one day. Yeah, I should probably warn the, the uh, listeners right now that uh, uh, you have a very direct style that makes mine pale in comparison. Actually, I probably <laughs> learned it from you. So if uh, you're not used uh, to that, you should buckle up and maybe uh, get ready for a bumpy ride. This is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, Todd's known for being quite direct. So this is uh, if some people get their feelings hurt, they're going to have a hard time here. Yeah, and that's what usually gets me in trouble when somebody gets, uh, gets their little feelings crushed a little bit. But And you know – 
and I'm sure everybody, you know, the truth, the guys that are listening, though, those are the guys who listen to podcasts are those guys. Those are the guys that want to make the, and, you know, if you look just at your own organization, you're missing the boat as well. You've got to get outside the four walls, get out of the, you know, you guys were kind of joking around about being comfortable. You've got to be out of that comfort zone every now and then. But whatever you think your department's doing better than everybody else, go look around because somebody else is doing it better than you are. And that's how I've always approached it. I, I cannot overstate how important that is to get outside the four walls of your organization and see what other departments are doing that's working and in some cases not working. But as far as me being just the honest and direct one, um, you need to look yourself in the mirror there, Hatch. <laughs> oh, I said I learned it from you. Uh, I think he was the, a good student. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I think you're the second retired person retired from the fire service person we've had marty being the first yeah uh so and that brings a a whole new plethora of questions and one that i always have for everybody who's retired is what was that transition like or that that year leading up to you hitting that 30 year mark you know what kind of planning did you do what kind of uh you know you know identify as a firefighter hell you've been in it since you could walk or really have you know collective memories from it what what was your thoughts about what you're going to do for retirement In all reality, I didn't want to. I, I, I just to be honest, I didn't really want to leave. I, I, I so enjoyed going to the firehouse every third day, but but at the end, I had other opportunities to um, train and work with other departments, and, and you know get get the opportunity to work at uh, throughout the country in a lot of ways. So that that was to end up being my driving force as far as plan. You know, and I've always done training. I've always you know been lucky and blessed enough to go teach at other places and the, the opportunities were just too many to pass that up and you know financially uh, it just didn't make it made better sense to retire at that point as well it wasn't about money at all but you know I have to still look over you know and everybody does you have to still look what's going to be best for your you know your wife and your, and your children and those type of things as well it's a lot we ask of our families to, to put up with us for uh, that length of time, uh, being gone and and add on top of working part-time somewhere and then add on top of that going to classes. It's a lot to ask of our family. And it was, again, that, that was another uh, factor. And it was something that we had talked about and, and we spent time getting ready for as far as uh, setting up for retirement. And it was, and it, I, just, I guess... I guess I'm not technically retired per se. I'm retired off the line, but I get so many great opportunities to be around firefighters and, and you know, doing a lot of live fire training. And, you know, I don't feel like I've ever left in, in all reality. And that's helped me transition. I couldn't have just, I couldn't have just walked out the last day and turned it off. Couldn't go cold turkey. My nature. No, I think he probably, no, I that's the best one. Like you said, he's been in it for so long. And when you asked him what's, you know, leading up to retirement or how retirement is, you really didn't retire. You're still doing this thing. You're still involved in this service. Uh, yeah. So I think it's cool. And I don't know when. I mean, I don't know. I, I've never thought about not doing something, you know, as far as this line of work, whether it's, you know, uh, teaching, writing, you know, which I'm horrible at, so I don't write. Man, I, I have no articles out there because I'm you know, the worst writer of all time. So the teaching aspect, as long as, you know, departments and, and folks will have me, I'll, I'll, I'll keep doing that. And it keeps me engaged. And that's, you know, that's my favorite part, being around 
you know, like-minded people like you guys and, you know, just got back to Pensacola Beach teaching for a couple of days. And those are the things that keep you engaged in the American Fire Service. And like I said, starting off, this is a lifestyle that, you know, the true great guys of this job, it's a lifestyle. It's not a 24 and go and, you know, never read anything or study or take a class. But, you know, those guys are, you know, I hate those guys. So, <laughs> so Todd, uh, this is Bill. I don't think we've met, and if we have, I apologize for not remembering, but I've always heard your name uh, as far back as I can remember being a firefighter, and it was your name has always been, for me, kind of coupled with the idea of you as an instructor. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I would assume that you've, it sounds like you've been very training-focused throughout your career, and now you are as well in retirement. What would you attribute that to? Were you a good student in school, or or, or did this interest in training, was this a product of firefighting? It was it, 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 truly a project of firefighting. Uh, I was very lucky at the time uh, coming up through high school. I knew college was not my career track. I knew at five years old I, I wanted to be a fireman. So that, that kind of is where my focus was. But we had a uh, place called the Dayton Career Academy. And it was really a high school program uh, or high school design for kids looking to do other things other than college and they actually had a fire service program that I attended for three years and you would do you know your standard you know high school courses but for four to six hours out of every day you were doing fire stuff you were studying the book and you were going Mm -hmm. through the Dayton Fire Department drill yard and we had two retired captains from the Dayton Fire Department we got to do ride along so that the more I was around those guys, the more I was studying fire, and the more instructors I was around. I, I just thought, man, that is so cool to see this. You know, and the, Charles Newcomb was our lead instructor, and the, if you looked up the word salty, that would be this guy. <laughs> and you know, you're sitting there as a 16 year old kid, and this guy is just you know just berating us around the drill yard carrying a a wooden 40 foot ladder, five of us and just, you know, yeah, you're bouncing, do it again. And it was, just, he was that guy that always have looked at, at those things as, um, part of our job. I think every firefighter, especially our senior guys, you know, you, you guys included, we should be teaching. I think you guys are doing that with your podcast. You're actually teaching people. Well, we so that's always that. been my it, path. It might be debatable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anything good actually comes out of that, yeah. but we appreciate it. <laughs> It's another form of teaching. I mean, what a great way to spend your drive to work is listening, you know, to different podcasts uh, that are out there. You know, there's, there's some I don't listen to, but, you know, I'll plug you guys in, James Gearing, and a few others that, you know, I absolutely love listening to because I never know what you guys are going to say next. So. Right. Neither do we. <laughs> and that's why it always works. <laughs> so, you- so, yeah, I, and I had great officers that were great instructors. And right. I always thought, man, that's what we should be doing. We should be past that. How's a 20-year-old kid in a smaller organization going to learn? He's not going to four or five jobs a day. So he's got to learn from something or from somebody else's experience. And, you know, not knocking the, the Firefighter 1 books, but that's not a lot of information when you pull up at a two-story wood frame at 3 a.m. Yeah. So has there been an area of training that you've kind of concentrated in over your time? Uh, I've... I tell you, I guess I, what I'm doing start the development programs, my focus is to get guys to understand if you don't know it, you should never teach it. So 
I stay away from more things than, than probably a lot of instructors do. Um, but I, you know, a lot of strong focus on, on strategy and tactics, strong focus on leadership, uh, strong focus on uh, engine work. You know, for the most part, I'm not a truck guy. Uh, I've been on trucks. I've been a captain on a ladder truck, killer ladder truck. But literally, if there's a saw in the room that's not running, there's still a shot that I may cut my leg off. <laughs> so I try, you know, I don't, I just don't, you know, I can search. I'm, I, I consider, uh, I teach a lot of classes on search and rescue, but as long as we don't have to crank any tools, I should be safe. <laughs> I would never have thought that. <laughs> <laughs> Not the best tool guy. Algenbar hook, I'm good with, but as soon as we put fuel and sharp items, there's, there's no risk of injury for sure. <laughs> Well, with your so, yeah, I've always focused on those things, things that I that, that I feel like I was strong in, and that I'm still learning. I, I'm, I'm always amazed when I go to conferences what I walk away with uh, uh, from what I learn at these at these classes and different things I attend. So, with that that concentration on strategy and tactics, what makes you happy on scene? Oh, properly placed apparatus for when I first when I would first arrive. They drove me nuts. The uh, parade mode, where you've got nine trucks and they're all lined up like they're getting ready for you know Veterans Day parade. <laughs> um, properly placed hose lines, and the <laughs> very few things made me mad at fire, except when I saw a guy with kinks and hose lines, which to me is this is un, it, there's no excuse to have a kink in a hose line. Even with one guy stretching, if you know how to stretch hose, there should never be a kink in a hose line. You know, you're reducing so much of your pressure that you, you kind of need that inside the house, not out in the yard. Uh, not laddering buildings drives me insane. Um, you know, if I got a two-story house, why is there one ladder up? And there's four sides to a house, multiple right. windows. We should have more than one ladder up. So it's little things. It's little things. There's never big things. There's just little things. But the, if you, and I'm sure all of you have read Line of Duty, Death Sports, and IOSH, and Near Misses, it's never one thing. Nope. It's yeah. always a stack of little things. Yeah. And, you know, it always starts with that first line getting in operation first and foremost. And after that, we, you know, there's, if, every, if we got line stretched and we got good, strong searches going on, um, the only other thing that would, uh, I would say <laughs> from a leadership standpoint, when truck companies are assigned primary search and they all end up in the fire room full ceiling, but they should be searching. And, you know, you, you can always tell when a guy's pulling the ceiling versus doing the primary search. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's pretty audible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Todd, this is Shane. I got a question for you on your mm-hmm. what you like and what you don't. When you had that fire ground where it didn't go quite the way you thought it was going to go or the trucks didn't end up exactly where you thought they were should be, is the, is the moment to teach, was it that very direct – bam or was there a time where you spent to say here's why these things should be some other way yeah it, um it obviously after the incident you know unless it had to be fixed for the incident but it was always after the incident as a company officer my my first order of business was always with my crew and we always worked under and it just seems it may seem odd to some my first question, I always want to know what I did. I always ask the guys what I, if they knew what I was doing, how they, you know, I, I want to know how I did, but I didn't want to hear from a chief. I wanted to hear from the three members directly underneath me first. 
and that build a rapport and they start learning how I'm thinking and and at the same time I'm learning how they're thinking and we would go through where we stopped at where we parked how we pulled hose where the line gets stretched always 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 first and foremost with my company as a battalion chief if no matter what we would always get together I was not a fan of doing after action reviews five shifts later let's learn while we're here where we can see the big picture and we, you know, room and content fire where we have one line and, you know, a little one story job, not as big a deal, but anything, apartments, uh, buildings with a, you know, pretty big offset off the street, we would just get together as a company and talk about it, you know, as everybody on the scene, you know, at least the officers and, and we would direct it then. And I never looked at them as, you know, you guys suck or anything like that, but I've never been. And I know Hatch would probably back me on this, and I'm sure you guys too. I've never been to a perfect spot. Yeah. There's, you know, there's no always something we can learn from. Yeah, whether it's a hose line, a ladder, a search, the way we pulled through on, the way we operate the nozzles, whatever the case is, we should always learn something from every day, every fire we go to. It doesn't always have to be the big glorious job. Even a mattress fire, we can usually pick up something. Hey, next time let's try pulling the lock this way. Or next time let's take the back door versus the front door. Any little thing we pick up on that's going to apply to us at the next job or the job we're going to have in three months, whatever the case may be. So for those uh, after actions, uh, a common theme I see a lot of times is uh, the firefighters think that we're we're fussing at them or that we're, we're criticizing or coming down on them. What would you, be your suggestion for kind of keeping that positive, you know, keeping it more towards the learning and not so much the criticizing. The, I think, again, going back to that very first step, I wanted, I wanted to hear from the guys. Did you understand, you know, even at a command position, did you understand why I wanted you here? Did you understand why we pulled you from the building and allow them to critique? You know, I know we don't use the word critique, but to tell me what their thoughts were coming from me as the boss. Because, again, I, I've got to learn, too because you can always learn something from every fire you go to. But then afterward, it, we always focused on three positives. And every fire I can always find, you know, one, two, three, or even more positives than negative. So we always did three things we did really, really good, three things that we could have improved on. And, you know, most of the time we didn't have them, but if we sucked at something that particular job, we talked about it not criticized we actually talked about and figured out why thought why we didn't do this very well so and how how were those three things in each of those categories determined was that you or was it the the seat men it, on scene got together no it was all of us okay. I, I, I was a huge believer in all of us okay if the four of us are all standing in front of a house all four of us are going to see one or two little things differently and sometimes from your experts sometimes from your um uh, your experience, obviously, but I, I was more aligned of looking at it from if we got some positives, but we can always make improvements. And every, again, we're not going to be perfect at this job, but we can be experts at this job at the same time. Right? Why we'll why we'll make why we're making mistakes. So, and it was always in that light. Those people that you that, and I think we've all uh, come up against them. They're not. They're not that they're not there aren't that many around, but there are people that are resistant to hearing that they've done anything wrong or that there was any way that you know it could be improved. What do you do with those people? So one one of the things I uh, 
and I know not every boss agrees with this concept. I'm a big believer in getting guys to um, ask why, as well as myself as a as a leader, is asking them why. Well, why don't you think we did this? And I'm, it's funny how when you ask somebody, um, I was recently doing a program at another department, and one of the captains was mad about having a rope taken off his rig. I said, well, did you ask why? And he just stared at me. I said, did you ask why they took the rope? And he said, no, I didn't ask. I said, well, who should you ask? My, my battalion chief. And his battalion chief was in the room. <laughs> so I right. looked over to the battalion chief. I said, why did you take the rope off the rig? And the battalion chief didn't know. So it's funny how when you start asking questions, so when you have that guy that doesn't believe we should ladder the, you know, that window, why don't you think that? Right. Make them, you know, and it's funny when you get guys actually look at it from a different perspective instead of just, you've got a ladder, you've got to put the ladder here. Ask them why they didn't put the ladder there. And then that sometimes leads to identifying other uh, training issues, but also gives them an opportunity to kind of reflect the way you're thinking and the way they're thinking. And this becomes more of an understanding thing to me than anything else. So I love that. You know, I know some guys, don't, don't ask me why. Don't ask me when, when the damn thing's burning like hell. But afterwards, we're going to ask those whys. Why we did this, why yeah. we didn't do this. And that, it's, again, will you still have that guy that's going to push back? Sure. And those are the guys that I never had a problem with because I wanted to show them why we pulled the, you know, pulled the windowsill or why we forced the door this direction. And once you start explaining your whys, Sometimes that fills a lot of gaps and makes them ask the same questions over and over as well. It's not complicated. We just like to overcomplicate crap. That's, That's true. true. That is absolutely yep. true. <laughs> that should be on the back of our t-shirts. We <laughs> like to overcomplicate crap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what uh, position in your career uh, was the most fun? The most fun? Uh, fun, yeah. Uh, captain was the most fun. No doubt about it, that was the most fun. Having those daily interactions with your crew, watching a kid come into your station and watch him go from scared to death to gaining some confidence, learning the job, becoming a driver. And some of the best things ever was seeing guys that you had as a, as a lieutenant and as a captain who are now lieutenants and captains and, you know, and battalion chiefs. And seeing those guys grow, that to me was fun. And just, you know, sitting around the station, you know, when the, when you're done for the day was fun. So I've never, I've rarely had any bad shifts, uh, you know, as a, as a boss or as a firefighter. But captain to me was still a great position because he had influence, but you still got to be inside doing the job at the same time. So, you know, it was kind of the best of both worlds, you know, for me. Yeah, I could see that being uh, rewarding. Would you say that's also your most rewarding position? Uh, I think, uh, in, in all reality, uh, as a battalion chief was my most rewarding because sometimes you have to get to that next level, uh, in the chain of command to actually have some true hardcore influence on over on more than just three or four firefighters. As a BC, I was able to influence, you know, at, at my time I had six captains, um, you know, two lieutenants every shift and, you know, a whole host of firefighters, you know, between six companies. 
And I was engaged with every company. I didn't do just captain meetings. I did, I'm only speaking to the captains. I thought that was one of the biggest BS things I've ever seen a uh, battalion chief do. So I went and we did company training, you know, and I was the lead instructor on those drills, helping firefighters develop and, and uh, sharing stuff with them. So reward-wise, not just at the battalion level, but you also had that opportunity to maybe influence other um, officers throughout your department. Uh, worked on committees. You know, I know guys always frown on committees, but you know, I've worked with operations committee, and I know, I know, Hatch, you you came in and and revamped a lot of it, made it better. But those were it was rewarding to see this department move forward under things you got to actually work on that you don't always get to do as a line officer. So being a battalion chief, you got to do some of those other things. And so both both those positions have reward fun wise. There were some fun times as a battalion chief, and there were some very uh, beat your head against the wall times as well. Well, and I think that's that's something that kind of is missed on younger firefighters sometimes is the difference between fun and rewarding and that sometimes they coexist and sometimes they're not the same. You know, like you said, it's, it's more rewarding than it is fun. Uh, I, you know, I, and I agree with you. I think it's after you step away or you take a step back and I always try to get guys to reflect back on things that, you know, uh, you're just making a difference at a call can be rewarding and fun at the same time. Right. And sometimes it's your perspectives on things um, that make a difference. So this is a little bit one of those kind of crazy theoretical questions. But if you had only (laughs) one hour to teach, but you could teach all of the firefighters in the world at once, what would you teach for that hour? Realistic leadership. And how do you define that? Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I never knock the programs that are out there because they, they all serve a purpose, but they're very canned, uh, very clinical, very uh, book-driven type of programs. And that, you know, we were kind of laughing, but if you Google leadership, you get 4 billion hits. <laughs> so if you want to talk about overcomplicate some, how we've overcomplicated leadership to a certain point and you know i know it sounds very uh simple in a lot of ways but if we would start teaching lead, you know our firefighters would be leaders day one imagine what they'd be like 10 years 15 years 20 years down the road right. and we wouldn't have this cycle that you hear guys you oh, know i work for this guy and he's this and this guy sucks at this and this guy doesn't do this and why don't we start teaching that now? So for an hour, yeah, I want to teach some leadership stuff and tactics and tips that actually work. And I do a program on that. Um, you know, this is what I know works. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I, I know everything and I guarantee all of us would have different opinions about what you guys think and believe, but wow, how simple can you make leadership if you just, you know, have a simple conversation sometimes? Instead of lighting somebody up because they, you know, had a, a smudge mark on their boot that day. It's insanity what we do to our firefighters and our and our other leaders. Uh, what we worry about when it really should have just been a, a simple one-on-one conversation or maybe just a one-on-one to that app for a few seconds and move on with our days and just then let it go. But we have too much of that in the American Fire Service today. Uh, uh, leaders leading by books and policies and not leading, you know, by being a human being first. 
Oh, yeah, that'd be, it'd be leadership for sure, unless they want to say something. If I can do both, I've combined uh, a leadership class with live fire at the same time. So, yeah, it'd be, if I could do maybe 30 minutes in the classroom and then 30 minutes in the burn building, it'd be perfect. <laughs> All things are better if it's on fire, right? <laughs> Everything's better when it's on fire. <laughs> hey, Todd, this is Pabell. I apologize being quiet in the background, but, you know, I'm listening to a lot of this, and i very much involved when training myself and, and very passionate about it. So I'm kind of soaking all this stuff in. And when you hit mm-hmm. that trigger on the leadership, which I agree immediately, what goes into my mind is the mm-hmm. fact that, you know, mm-hmm. statistics say that mm-hmm. there's a lot of, um, when they do the research and they ask people, do you feel that you're a leader? A lot of people believe they're leaders, but there's nobody to tell them, well, Maybe you're not that great of a leader. And you brought up something which I think is is great. We should be starting right from the get-go to start getting these guys and giving them some of those leadership traits and nuggets and all that kind of stuff. And since you have so much experience traveling around, seeing what's out there around the country, for those of us least experienced, looking into your knowledge, you go, what is it, how do we frame that up? We're, go, we're starting at recruit class. How do we start framing that up to go, let's start creating some good leaders, independent thinking even. We want to do independent thinkers, but then there's a big micromanagement push within the fire service. So some of the mm-hmm. obstacles within the same leadership we're adding to ourselves. So I'm just curious, how do I frame that up? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to establish, you know, within my recruit classes or whatever training programs, I want to start really getting these guys and gals uh, ready for leadership roles. How would you frame that up for us? I think the the first step is uh, as leaders ourselves embrace mistakes. So even after they learn the bare, you know, the minimum. And I hate that terminology, by the way, minimum standards. The you know, ruining the American Fire Service. But once they learn the basics and they're starting to get the basics down, put them in drills and evolutions where they're making decisions, even in recruit school sometimes. Uh, search and rescue is a great way, to, in my opinion, to do it. Um, you know, right hand, left hand search pattern looks really good in a book because, you know, they draw little arrows around the room and not, all of us know that that's not how it really works. But give them decision making opportunities in recruit school. They encounter a down firefighter and a, and a, and a uh, civilian. You know, let them decide how they want to make that rescue instead of the standard, well, we're going to do a left-hand drag, reverse patterns, and right-hand drag out, all this mess. Put them in charge and recruit school, even. Um, I do a thing on what I, I refer to as more of a team leadership. Most of my decisions only happened at fire in my company. When we did one uh, special project, I didn't make decisions about when, where, how many. The guys made those decisions. And I didn't direct housework. You know, they, they know we got to clean the house. Why do I need to oversee adults about, you know, who's cleaning what? Figure it out. Let them figure it out. Let them have input on what we're going to do that day. And they were fantastic about it. And the more opportunities they were given, the better they became at, at making those decisions. And they always, and what was funny, they made great decisions about a lot of things. And so by starting at that young, young age, uh, I encourage our young guys to go to leadership classes. I encourage our young guys to do those things because that's how you start learning <clears throat> your style. And and you guys know this, but, and I don't know if we teach it enough, and I try to bring through a lot of my classes. We are all going to teach based off of our own personalities at the same time. We're all going to lead off our personality. No matter how many times we say we're not going to do that, we're still always going to revert back to our personality. 
and that's something you know that's that's very hard to to look at. I'm a I, I believe that enthusiasm is the greatest teacher and the greatest leadership trait that a guy can bring to the table. And I know it sounds a little odd. You know, I'm not talking about rah rah. Not everything is rainbows and unicorns. But if you're enthusiastic about training, if you're enthusiastic about leadership, if you're enthusiastic about watching that 21 year old kid advance up to the rank of lieutenant, you're developing great leaders that way because he's going to be enthusiastic. He's going to be into the job, and that is to me so simple, but seems to be so. Um, almost pushed against you have to follow the books and all that. And, and that's great. But does the book work? Could you be a good leader? If you guys, for you guys, if you had just done your fire officer one and two, would you guys be great leaders? No. And I'll tell you, <laughs> you, you hit a lot of, points. I don't have either one. <laughs> <laughs> you hit You're a, a great leader. Then <laughs> you hit a lot of fantastic points in there and something that, that captures, and I can, literally get lost in, in conversation while sitting back a little bit uh, when it comes to this training stuff and digging into your brain. I think the reason, and this is just my perception, I think the reason a lot of times they fall into the books is because some people don't have the ability to project outside of themselves and put something together and elaborate on it the way you just did. Something as simple as saying, hey, let's put them into the situation where we're forcing them to make decisions instead of us making decisions for them. It would seem like that's an innate mindset that any trainer would have, but that's not the case. So they're going to rely to the books because they don't have that. And as far as the, the last thing that you just touched on, uh, being enthusiastic, man, I couldn't agree more. One of the things that we recently did is we put a survey out for the training division, and the question that was asked in there is, to rate the trainings division passion, right? And that would, it's subjective, right? So you can have your, it's a very subjective question, but if you're passionate about what you do, you're going to captivate people. People are going to come in, people are going to buy in. And what I see, and you kind of touched on that, a lot of this stuff is forced, it's so robotic and it's so book-like that if you are not putting your personality into it, if you're not being passionate, if you're not sold on it, you've lost your ability to really connect with people and get them sold on it. And I'm, from my experiences, that's what I've seen happen is a lot of people are very robotic. Here's what the book says. Here's what I'm going to teach and not knocking on the book, but where's your personality? Where's your experience? Where, where's your enthusiasm? And when that's lost, you got a sleeper class. All right, we're just going to get through this so we can be done. Definitely. And, and that, but that carries outside the classroom too. Uh, you know, if you have the boss, uh, I have a list of what I can, you know, bosses I've been around. I, and I've been around some incredible, you know, guys who are engaged, guys who are enthusiastic, guys who love the job are great bosses nine times out of 10. And you got the sleeper and you got the skater and you've got the bugles, lives matters guys. And, um, <laughs> And sometimes if you get immersed in those, with those, with those people, you end up, your leadership style getting developed and you don't even realize it's going on. That's the, you know, you heard me say earlier, get outside your four walls, man, get around some of these guys. And I was, um, I mentioned that I was, uh, down in with uh, County fire tactics at Pensacola this whole past week. And I was rooming with, you know, guys with, lots more fires than me and these guys are in to the job still still today one of them has over 35 years 
and another one is at 30 years, and they all we talk about was the job and jobs they just been to and jobs they can't wait to go to again. And yeah, these guys are going to you know two and three jobs a day, and they're into it. And you can see it when they teach. You can see how captivating they are. And it's not just based on you know war stories. They they generally want to teach what they've learned, and it carries. It carries in their leadership style. They carry themselves as leaders, and you never would want hear them say, "I am lieutenant this" or "I am captain this." And those are your best leaders. When you got to announce you're a captain, or you got to announce you're a chief, and show people your bugles, well, you're probably an idiot. <laughs> This and is, there it goes. This is going to be a little bit of a, a loaded question, but I just got to ask it before I forget it. So you having your experience and being surrounded by all these people, stepping outside of the box, which you alluded to earlier, and I agree with you 100%. You got to step outside of the box. It's going to teach you what you are doing right and what you're not doing right when you get out there and see how other people are doing things. The passion part, when you're getting around these people that are still into the job 20, 30, 40 years later, absolutely love it. You grew up in the fire service. Uh, this was your life. You made a lifestyle out of it. The people who are disconnected, can we teach that? Can we train that? Can we foster that? What, from your experiences, what about those? Because the ones that are on fire for the fire service, that, that's what they're going to be. And they, they, mm-hmm. they get the speed bump in the road, and it doesn't take it too long before they overcome that because they're just, this is their life. This is... Uh, their everyday life. So what do we, what about those that, that are sitting Man, out there I, that you got to come the ones that go to your training because they were forced to go, not at will to go, man, I, I want to expand my knowledge. What about those people? Is there something that we could be doing to impact them to? Yeah, I, I, I think they're, you know, I, I think one, one mistake we make is we have that guy who is, you know, six, seven years, whatever he's been on the, on the job for. And he is, I hate this. I don't like this. You know, that's where, you know, that's why I love asking why. Cause when you start asking that again, they, they don't really know why they're mad or they're not engaged or they're not into it or whatever. I always thought I would love to have had been the captain of a station where if you had a slug, send them to me, send me your worst, send me your slug, send me the this most disgruntled guy. If you're around positivity, you get positive. If you're around guys who are, are enthusiastic, you become enthusiastic. I have no, I, I firmly believe this, but we'll take that guy and he gets, and we label him because, you know, we don't really get a chance to know him. We don't, we don't take the time sometimes to get to know an individual. And you take that disgruntled guy, or that guy just not into it, and start talking, you know, let, let me get to know you personally first. Then I can start figuring out what buttons to help push with you. And then just surround that person all the time with upbeat positivity about the job and the, and what we really do. I think we can, and I think we just push those guys to the side. We put guys that need help into bad situations or with bad bosses and other bosses, you know, guys higher in the food chain, they need to learn how to recognize when they have poor leadership in their stations. And they need to address that. I had captains that were a little weak when I first came up into the BC rank. And by a constant religious message, everyday communication with those guys, 
those companies changed. They changed for the better just based on having some somebody positive and supportive versus, oh, God, we're going to get rode up. Oh, God, I was five seconds late. Oh, God, I'm going to get a letter. Oh, I'm going to get repressed. And I think that snowballs, you know, we're talking about how you have stack effect on uh, line of duty death. You have stack effect on bad firemen and bad leadership, too. If you're immersed in nothing but guys sitting around, you know, griping and moaning, you're going to become the next guy who's going to sit around and gripe them up. And then you're going to be that guy who gets lucky and gets, you know, promotes up. And you're going to be that boss now, griping them open. That's how we create that vicious circle that some, you know, some departments find themselves in or battalions or, you know, whatever the case may be. But, man, let's put that guy with somebody who's going, you know, take the time. Uh, I had a firefighter temporarily assigned minute took took this firefighter almost a minute 30 to go mask hood helmet gloves air a minute 30 so we're going to pause this episode right there we're only about halfway through our discussion with todd edwards and we're pretty sure that by now you're identifying with him when he talks about being around firefighters who really aren't engaged as frank martinez would say they're not slanted so what do you do with that firefighter an even better question is, what would Todd Edwards do with that firefighter? How would he flip that firefighter? Tune in to our next episode for part two of our interview with Todd Edwards for the answer to those questions and many more.